Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning, good morning. Hey man, wasn't that worship beautiful? Man, I don't know about you, but... You know, when, when the Spirit comes, you're in the zone. And we were in the zone this morning. That's all I can say. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Franklin, for leading us this morning. Hey, um, I want to encourage you guys. It's that season. It's that season for our Hope Toe Drive. That's one of our biggest outreaches here. Um, if you haven't signed up to, to, to serve, I want to encourage you to do that. See Sean at the Welcome Center. Get in, get involved. That's going to be on the 19th of December. Last time we did it live was over 6,000 plus people here. So we need your help to help serve and outreach and, and minister people in the neighborhood. And that's the way we express our love to our neighbors. Amen. Just blessing them by being a blessing to them. Hey, open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. We've been doing a sermon series on mercy. This morning's sermon title is God Moves Through His People. God Moves Through His People. Jonah chapter 3 uh, this morning. Uh, last week, Julie and I had the opportunity to go to the UCLA game with my, my dad. He has season tickets, so I go up there every once in a while to go see the game. And I, I love football. But after the first half, the, the, get, the entertainment you get is the marching band, right? And you get to watch the marching band. And so just like every football game, we were watching the UCLA band. And I was just amazed at how they would come on the field and be playing their music, marching in step performing all those movements on the field and crossing over and making pictures. And you're watching as this is all beginning to be played out. But what you don't realize and what you don't see on the sidelines is there's a conductor leading them. He's setting the tempo. He's directing their songs as they're playing and they're keeping their eyes on the conductor. But what if one of the band members, what if, several, what if several band members decide to take their eyes off the conductor and kind of do what they want to do on their own, right? They want to orchestrate their own plan. They, 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 they choose to step to their own beat. They, they, the drummers seem to take the drums off and sit down and, and they all want to take selfies together. It would be a disruption to the attainment and the performance. In the Bible, we see God as the conductor orchestrating his master plan. But we read about individuals who want to do their own thing and they take their eyes off the conductor, take their eyes off of God, and, and they want to do what is right in their own eyes and march to their own beats. That's what we read about here in the book of Jonah, in the Jonah story. God is the conductor orchestrating out his perfect plan using storms and, finish, and fishes to draw Jonah back to his master plan. Let me tell you something. God is orchestrating things in your life you may not even see because he has a plan for your life. He has a, a purpose in, in your life. And he doesn't give up on his people. He seeks after us. Why? To orchestrate the greatest revival ever. You're going to see a greatest revival take place in chapter 3. But he wants to start a revival even in our own church and even our own communities and even our own nation. Because God is always working. He's always orchestrating. In fact, in this story, 
We kind of see Jonah's resurrection. He's been renewed to new life. He, he was in the dark, now he's in the light. He was in the belly of a fish for three days, and now we find him on the Mediterranean beach when the Lord calls him a second time. We know that we've been looking at this story, the book of Jonah, and it's a two-part story. We looked at part one, which is the story of the great sea and all that God had done to draw Jonah back, but now we're in part two of the story. Part one, we see God's patience in chapter one. In chapter two, we see God's pardon. In chapter three, we're going to see God's power as Jonah's going to begin to preach and fulfill God's plan. God is moving in Jonah's life because he had a purpose and destiny for Jonah, just like he has a purpose and destiny for, for you. I propose this morning, no matter where you are today, whether you're here with us in this sanctuary or you're watching online, God is moving in your life. He's moving today. And just like Jonah, he has a purpose and a plan for you. Let's look at chapter 3 this morning. We're going to study all of it. I want to read it. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloths from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, neither, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mildly to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil ways, from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn or relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there's a blessing in the reading of your word. And Father, now we come to study your word. And we're asking your spirit to speak this morning. That you take these words written thousands and thousands of years ago and that you apply them to us today because they're relevant for us today. Because your word is God-breathed. It's alive and it's active and it's working. And so I pray this morning your hand upon your work this morning in the hearts of your people here in this room and online. Lord, I pray now that you would speak with clarity and ask that we would understand and that all would hear and respond. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Hey, we're going to look at three things this morning, three ways that God moves to get us on track a little bit. And God is always moving. He moves through his people. Here's the first thing this morning. God reminds us of our mission. God reminds us of our mission. When I was in college, mostly they go to college, you have to take general ed classes, your basic classes. So I was in Bible college. I was going to school. And one of the classes I had to take was a music class. 
And in that music class, they, they taught you how to lead congregational singing, which means you had to be a conductor, right? Now, so I'm taking the class, but I took this class because it was a general ed class, and I just needed some credits to pass, so I didn't really take the class seriously. I, I, I was kind of like, oh, this is an easy class. I'll just swing by. I'll just kind of, you know, work my way and kind of make it happen. And so one of the things I had to do was take a test that I had to learn how to lead with tempo. I had to learn a certain way how to use my hands and, and conduct people. But I didn't really take it seriously. So when the final came, <laughs> I got up in front of the class and I started playing music and I just started going. <laughs> well, as you can imagine, it didn't go very well and I didn't pass the test. But my professor pulled me into his office and had a long conversation and gently rebuked me about my efforts. And he gave me a, a second chance to try it again. And he worked patiently with me. And I passed. That's why I'm a preacher today and not a conductor. Guys, when we come to the story of Jonah, Jonah's recommissioned for a second chance, for a second time, and we see that in verse 1 and 2. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. First of all, right away we see the power of the word. The word came to him, we see in verse 1, right? That word, that phrase is mentioned 104 times in scriptures. I think there's a lot of people that need some chances, right? Jeremiah heard this multiple times. The word of the Lord came. That phrase is, is used to, to speak to patriarchs and, and prophets and kings and priests like Abraham and Samuel and Solomon and Joshua. It's a beautiful thing when we hear from the Lord. It's a beautiful thing when we hear from God and he, he speaks in it and it comes to us. But here it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. How many times has God's word got to come to you before you listen? How many times has God got to keep speaking to us hard-headed, knuckle-headed people, stiff-necked people? How many times does God have to keep knocking on the hearts and our minds to get our attention? But interesting here, God had no obligation to speak to Jonah a second time to a, 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 a sinful prophet who ran away. He had no obligation to call him again. But yet he does. That's the Lord's grace and mercy. That his word keeps coming to us. Right? When we ignore his call, he still tries to stay, he's trying to keep out touching us, he's trying to keep reaching us. He's still trying to stay in touch with us when we ignore his call. You remember that old Verizon commercial? Do you hear me now? Do you hear me now? <laughs> you know, I can only imagine God. Do you hear me now? But we know that Jonah, we know that Jonah had experienced the presence of God in chapter 2 and, and experience God's pardon in chapter 2. We studied that last week, right? And with the renewed spirit, 
He has a sensitivity to, to God's word. We know in chapter one, what did he do? He rebelled against God. He rebelled against God's word. And so God put him in the belly of a whale for three days, and that's where he repented. And now he's vomited up onto the shores of Joppa somewhere. And now he's got this renewed spirit. It's almost like our salvation story in some sense. Many of us rebelled against God. We all fall short of the glory of God. Then God gets a hold of us and takes us and immerses us in our own mess to get our attention until we repent. And then what? He renews us. He renews us for a purpose. He, we would say we become born again or born of the Spirit. In fact, think about it for a moment. He had to take him to the depths of the ocean to give him new life. Isn't that a symbol of baptism? He immersed us in the water to bring us to renewed life. So here we have Jonah with this renewed life before the people. I think the mark of one who's born of the Spirit or born of God has a hunger for God's word or is willing to hear God's word. Because John 10, 27, Jesus said this. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We see a command given that Jonah needed to follow. A word came to Jonah that he needed to follow and that word was to go, right? This was the same command we find in Jonah chapter one, verse two, right? He says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. We see the recommissioning of Jonah for God's mission. And the interesting, he gave him a specific thing. He goes, I want you to go, and I'm going to give you the word. I'm going to tell you what you, you need to say. And so we know this. He says he's going to go to this great city, right? And he sends him to a great city because it was going to be a, a great task. And God's beginning to prepare Jonah for this great word. But you know what he has to do? And even in our lives, you know what he has to do before he can do a great work in us? He has to bring us back to a place where we failed. He has to bring us back to a ground zero so we can start again. I can't move forward until I overcome and conquer the areas that I'm struggling in. God will take us to places to work through those issues. And we might not like it. It might be painful. It might be hurtful. But God needs to do healing and work in us before we can even take the next step. We love to take step from A to C, but we miss B. When your children walk, they got to take one step another. Baby kids, when they get up, they, they get up and they stumble and they fall. But, the, but they, there's a process to that. And, and God still has to fill the process, process of maturity in your life. And so sometimes he has to take you back to the place where you failed to move you forward. And so he's saying, hey, Jonah, we're, we're going to go back again to where you were supposed to go. Right? And he sends him to a, a great city, an exceedingly great city, the scripture says. Cities are where people live. Back in the early days, the late 1800s, the 19th century, only 5% of people lived in the city. They were suburbanites or rural, rural people that lived on farms. But our cities have grown and now order 50 to 60% of our people live in cities. And by 2050, 80% of people will live in cities. He called... Jonah to a great city of that time. I love our city, San Diego. There's over 3 million people in San Diego, and there's over a million in San Diego proper. We need to be concerned about our great city. 
We need to have a passion for our great city and a love for our great city. Amen. Because why? The same mission that was given to Jonah is given to us today. It's the same mission, right? Jonah was commanded to, to, to leave his homeland and go to Nineveh to preach the gospel. But we have been given the same mandate to be on mission in Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's our great commission. We have a great commission. We have a mandate by the conductor to lead us this morning. We may not all be pastors. We may not be prophets or missionaries in a typical sense, but we are all called to be missional in a sense, meaning always being on mission with the gospel. And we're called to share the gospel with others. That's what we do as a church. That's why we're doing the Hope Toy Drive. It's really even not about the toys. Come on. Hey, man, I always say this. You want to go fishing, you need a little bait. <laughs> right? They're thinking they're getting the gift of a toy, but the greatest gift is Jesus. That... That toy will fade away, but Jesus will never fade away because he's the, the same yesterday and today. And so we have to be on mission this Christmas. But I know for some of you, that's a little scary. You've maybe never shared your faith. But we might have to pray for courage. You might have to pray for boldness and set aside some of our security blanket and step out by faith. Sometimes we might have to take a little risk. Where was Jonah going? He was going into his enemy city. He could have been killed for it. I just got news from my wife's friends. We supported some, I think they were in the, the Ukraine, something, but they were going through some struggles and their lives were threatened for their faith because of Muslim stuff. People are, have to have boldness to share their faith today. But what do we find in the story? We find here, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. We see that in verses 3 and 4. It says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city and three days journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Hmm. Jonah responded differently this time than he did the first time, right? We find Jonah beached on a Mediterranean beach with bleached out complexion and singed eyebrows. But God is renewing Jonah's mission. He's pointing him to, to go west because he went east. And so now Jonah has to travel over 700 miles to the Middle East, heading toward Babylon, toward Nineveh, which was 250 miles north of Babylon. I could only imagine that journey. What would that journey have been? Because it wouldn't have been done in a day. And he's walking. Maybe he's waiting on the Lord to say, what's the message you want me to say? What's the words that you want me to give? Or, or maybe God is still dealing with Jonah's heart a little bit because it, he had three days, but I know when the work deals, God deals with my life, it takes more than three days. Remember, Jonah, didn't, Jonah hated 
the Ninevites. They were his enemies. They were, that was a Gentile world that, that was a very violent world, a very, very world that would hate its enemies. And, and this is the place that he's sharing. So I could imagine that God still had to do some work in Jonah's heart to get him ready for this. Come on, come on. Or maybe what's going on as he's journeying, we know there's an enemy too who says, Jonah, this new thing you're going through, this new renewal thing, it's, it's really not true. It's a lie. And we know there could be even some spiritual battle going on in Jonah's mind and heart. I could only imagine, I know for me, it had to be for you when I came to faith that I said, is this even real? Do I believe this? And the cast and the seeds of doubts and and all those things, or the accusation of the accusation of, of the believers, where the enemy accuses the believers, and you're not worthy, you're not good enough, no, there's nothing, God can't save you. There's a lot of stuff that could be playing in our minds when we come to faith. And I can only imagine that Jonah's traveling in the desert, and the, man, the enemy's doing a whole bunch of stuff. You know that the enemy has game film on you? He knows your weaknesses. Your family has game film on you too, huh? They know your shortcomings because when you don't do right I thought you were a believer so I can only imagine what Jonah's going through as he's journeying even questioning his call in the desert but we find in verse three and four he's facing his call He's facing the reality that's set before him. And he walks up to the city of Nineveh with its 10-story walls and, and, and a population of 120,000. And, and the circumference is 60 miles with over 1,500 towers. He's, he's standing in front of this city as he's walked and he's arrived in front of this city. He's facing the greatest challenge in his life and he has to have faith in God. What's that big thing in front of you right now? What's that big wall where, what's that big thing that God has said, I want you to go and you need to trust me in? But I know this, faith has feet. Faith has feet. And we see that here in the story, right? Jonah gets stepping and he enters into the city and he enters into the world of the Ninevites. It says he begins to walk through the city. He's entering into a world that's not like his world. The culture's different. The values are different. The belief systems are different. Come on, come on. Guys, God is calling us to enter into that same world in our own communities. Where the people are different. The beliefs are different. The cultures are different. City Heights, this community is the most diverse community in all San Diego. And we have to enter into other people's worlds. That's part of going. That's part of ministering. You know, I don't know the stature of Jonah. I don't know how powerful his voice was, but it really doesn't matter. Because God's going to work through his voice. I think of the Apostle Paul who wrote, who wasn't a very big man. Wrote this in 1 Corinthians 2, 4. It says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power. God will give us the words with power. We're only the conduit. We're only the, the, the vessel by which the power of God works through. 
to do his bidding. And we know that Jonah's message was short and sweet. In fact, if you look at it, it's only really eight words long. Can you imagine me coming and doing a sermon that's less than a minute? You'll be like, amen, pastor. Amen. Waiting for that day. Now, people believe that he probably said more. This is what we have written down. Because the words that you hear him speak are not very edifying or encouraging or loving. You know, it, it, you, you can look at it, right? But he said in 40 days, either change or you're going to be overthrown. He's that fire and brimstone preacher. Turn or burn type of preacher. You know those guys that wear the sandwich boards on the corners, you know? That with crazy hair, look like John the Baptist, you know, and they're like preaching all the things, you know. He, you know, he, he doesn't talk about God's mercy. He doesn't talk about God's love. He doesn't talk about any of that. I think that Jonah enjoyed that message. Because you read in chapter four, he's bummed that they repented. He's upset and he's having a pity party. We're going to get into that next week. It just shows us that God still uses broken people to do his work. Not completed people to do his work. Not perfect people to do his work. 40 was the number of, of judgment and trials in the scriptures, right? We know that God's people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It rained on the ark on Noah for 40 days. And Jesus was tested for 40 days in the wilderness. So he said, in 40 days, judgment's going to come. Or you're going to get overthrown. It's the same word we see in the warning of Sodom and Gomorrah. And get it right, you're going to get overthrown. Same word. But as he steps through, can you imagine this? It says that the city was 60 miles. It covers three days. That means he had to travel 20 miles a day. Preaching. He entered the city. His first day was a 20-mile Hike, man, I died for 12 when I went to Yosemite with my son. But, but the reality of all this is Jonah's focus, and he's, he's proclaiming this gospel. He's calling, and he's calling people to repent, and that's exactly what happened. So the first thing that, that God's moving in and getting us on track is he calls us back and reminds us of our mission. Here's the second thing, Right? God uses our missteps to bring others to Christ. God will use our missteps to bring others to Christ. We see that in verses 5 through 9, right? It, it, was a, it was a storm that turned Jonah's life around. It was a, the missteps of Jonah in order for God to get him ready to do this great work. And God will use our missteps to do a great work. Take a moment right now and think about where you are in your walk or where God's brought you from. What were the missteps along the way that God still was patient with you and God was still working in you and God was still drawing you to him? Think about the situation that you might even be right now that you're facing. How's God using your situation and circumstances to draw you to Christ? What is he doing right now to get your attention? Some historians believed that at this point, about this point, in 
time in Jonah's mission, Assyria had experienced a series of famines. There's famines in our worlds today. Plagues, think about the coronavirus. Revolts, fighting, eclipses. Did you know on Thursday we had an eclipse here in San Diego? All of which were seen as omens of far worse things to come. And some thought this was God's way of preparing them for Jonah's message. What is God doing in you? You're here and working or out there that somebody's going to come along and you're going to hear the gospel, but he's preparing your heart for that? Guys, we're called to be on mission to share the gospel, but God is preparing the hearts of those people that you're going to be sharing it with. You don't know what he's done. Some plant the seed of God's word. Some water it. Some see the harvest. We don't know what our role in the process is. We just got to be faithful to proclaim it. God's doing the work in it, right? If you look at the story, the word repentance is never used in this chapter. And repentance really isn't a a word. It's something you do. And these people repented. In fact, Jesus referenced Nineveh's repentance in Matthew 12 and Luke 11, that they did repent. And so the Ninevites took Jonah's message seriously and responded with repentance. Let's look at how they responded to repentance. How do we get back on it? How is God moving in the, through, through Jonah's misstep? We see, number one, that repentance begins with believing God. We see that in verse 5. Look, it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The first thing when Jonah proclaimed this crazy message, that they believed the message. They believed that they were going to be overthrown. They believed that judgment was coming. They believed that. In fact, the Hebrew word for believe is aman, which meaning to trust. Now, some question the authenticity of their belief. Some theologians, like when I, I read commentaries, I read books, some, some question that because the way they said it, it says they believed God. The word God there is Elohim. It's a general word for God as a whole. They didn't use the word Yahweh, which is the relational God that the Jews had. We, we worship Yahweh, our relational God. They said use the word Elohim, not Yahweh. And so some question whether this was true repentance or transformation. But let me, let me challenge you with this. How many of you fully understand who God was when you first came to believe? Come on, come on. Come on now. I, I don't think we understand the full theological ramifications of the scriptures and, and all those things that we do. We believe God. And we're still learning. Amen. And we're still growing, right? Faith and repentance has a starting point. It has a starting point, and that's to believe, right? And when they believe, they, they proclaim the fast, right? They denied themselves for a period of time. They, when they believed, they redirected their priorities right away. When they heard it, they redirected the priorities. They changed their focus. And it says that everyone... Cooperate. Everyone participated, right? From the greatest to the, to the least. There was corporate repentance as there was individual repentance. Come on, come on. As there was personal and then there's corporates. And so repentance first starts with belief. 
Here's the second thing. Repentance starts with humility, with humbleness of heart, with a contrite spirit. Look at 6 and 7. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he caused it to proclaim a published throughout Nineveh by the decree of king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herds nor flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Jonah's message even convicted the king. Convicted the king. And in response to that conviction, he made a, a public declaration, a decree that not man or beast were to eat or even drink water. He called a national fast. Can you imagine if the president of the United States called for a national day of fasting? What ruckus would take place if that happened? And the people on this decree covered them Selves, and the king covered themselves with sackcloth and ashes. What does that mean? Joe Drudge said this. He's a pastor. said sackcloth was an uncomfortable cloth made from animal hair, usually goat hair. It was meant to be uncomfortable so that it could, be, could, be, so that it could outwardly demonstrate the anguish that a person was inwardly, inwardly experiencing, right? It, it was a form of humility. It was a form of humbleness. They humbled themselves before the Lord. What did the king do? The king exchanged his royal outfit for sackcloth and ashes. He, he, you know, he, that was an act of humility, a sign of helplessness and, and despair. He's willing to give. He humbled himself and his pride and his ego to change his garment. In that day, you never bowed to anybody. They bowed to you. And the king is bowing in humility and belief to bring about true Repentance. Think about it. Imagine if you were sick and the doctor said you need a surgery to be treated for your illness. I don't think you put off the surgery. You would schedule the surgery right away, right? The Ninevites saw their sickness and addressed it right away. They didn't put it off. They didn't say, I'm not ready right now. We need to be like, in some sense, like the Ninevites, Right? There needed to be some urgency when dealing with sin and our apathy toward God. Come on, they're, they're, they responded right away. They didn't wait. They put it off. There was a humility that they acted upon right away. We believe. We humble ourselves. Here's the third thing about repentance. Repentance leads to change. Look at verse 8. It says, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloths, cry mildly to God. Yes, let every man turn from its evil ways and from the violence that is in his hand. See, the word of the Lord came to the king like it came to Jonah, right? to confession. It says they cried out to, to God. What, what were they crying out to? What, they were crying, I think, they, probably confession of their own violations. Crying out confession of, God, we don't want to perish. We don't want to be destroyed. I love it that, that, it's, that it got messy before it got clean. Right? It was messy. People were messy. The, it, the, you could see the mess of the lives of people here as they're crying out. I, you know, I don't know 
what crying out looked like at that moment. But I, I, I could only imagine it's a, it's, a, it's, very, it's a picture of somebody who's very tearful, red-faced, and snot's running down their faces as they pray earnestly. It means coming to God with your sin and your need for, for mercy. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but sorrow of the world produces death. There's a biblical repentance and sorrow, and there's a worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry I got caught. <laughs> oh, man, I messed up. I got caught. Biblical repentance is, Lord, I got caught. I need to change. One leads to life. One leads to death. But we see here that the word convicted the leadership, the king, to a place that they had to stop injustice and violence. You remember I talked about who the Ninevites were and how they treated their enemies and, and how they skinned people alive and how they raped women and killed children. It was, it was, they were a violent nation. People would kill themselves when they saw the Assyrians coming. You know, this, this group of people, they were really commit suicide because they'd rather die than be in the hands of these people. That's how intense these people were. And now they're saying, we got to stop the violence? Now, many believe that Jonah's message was really a message for um, social reform. Hey, let's just change the neighborhood. Let's just make the neighborhood better. Right? The social reform. Now, I believe that good deeds leads to good works that leads to good news. Don't get me wrong. There are times where we need to come in and we have to be a light and serve the people. We're doing good things in the neighborhood to help. But I'm hoping that those good things are leading to a, a conversation about a great God. Because if, if I'm just doing good, then the church becomes a social work system. This is not a social service agency. That's not what we are. It should, our work should lead us, it has a, a purpose here, right? I know we use a lot of terms, social justice, and a lot of these terms, but I, wanna, I want us to reframe that and look at what biblical justice is. Because there is biblical justice in the Bible. Right? He, the challenge was that they would turn, he uses the word turn or repent from your evil ways, your wickedness, your, your moral depravity, Right? And so when the king came to a place of repentance, he, 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 called his, he used his words and called a peace treaty. He, he called it against the violence of the street. Remember, these were violent people. That was their culture. And he said, stop your cruel practices. Transformed people will seek the welfare of the city and will stand up for biblical justice. Isaiah the prophet wrote this, learn to do good, Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widows. There's a command there, a biblical justice for the oppressed. We are called to treat each other lovingly. Lovingly. And he was calling for peace on the streets, is what the king was calling. I could even imagine that Jonah was in the city who was a Jewish man, and he's defending Jonah of his words 
And lastly, guys, here on repentance. Repentance has a hope. Repentance has a hope. Look at verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and relent? Turn away from his fierce anger so they may not perish. Hope was their response for the Ninevites, for the Assyrian people. Hope of the repentance will activate God's compassion. Right? See, repentance is the way we get to see God's grace and mercy. Now, this, this verse is questioned here for you theologians out there. The verse is, a, 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 is you know, did, did, can God change his heart? We're going to look at that in a moment. Can God really change his mind? Because he had a plan. He, the prophet was to go and 40 days to be overthrown. And we know that God leads this great revival. Did that make Jonah a false prophet? Because we know that the curse of a, of a false prophet was that Jonah could be killed because a false prophet who proclaimed something that didn't happen would be killed or stoned. Now, God sees, I believe that God sees the whole picture. He sees the heart of men. And his goal is to fulfill his, his will. And so their hope was that they were counting on God's character to be played out. Because maybe they understood the fierceness of God. Right? Aside of God, we are uncomfortable to talk about. <laughs> the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the anger of God, those are all still God's character, just as much as the love, compassion, and mercy. But we closed the chapter with this that here's the third thing God's mercy was seen when he relented. God's mercy, we see that in verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways. God relented from the disaster that he had said, and he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. A little boy asked his mom for a peanut butter sandwich. And she made it to him and gave it to him. And then, and then the boy said to the mom, I, I, Mom, I asked for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but I mean, peanut butter sandwich, but you put jelly in it. Mom replied, you know what mercy is? Mercy is when God not only gives you what you ask for, but he adds a little extra on it. He gives you more than you deserve. That's what you see in the story. He gave more than they deserved. That's God's mercy, right? How to respond? How, how did God express his mercy? Number one, he saw the change in the people. God saw, right? He saw their repentance. He saw the fruit of their repentance. He saw their fasting. He saw their crying out. He saw their changing hearts. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. There'll be evidence of change. He saw that they turned from their evil ways. In fact, the Hebrew word for turn is shuv, which means to turn back. Return back to God is the same word used in verse 8 and 9 in the verses before and because he saw the change, God saved him. God saved, right? God relented. Same word to be, same word for, in some sense, for repented. The definition for repentance means what? To change the mind. We often associate this word in a negative context, but God changed his mind. The, but a deeper meaning for this word is to have pity. Interesting, we all have pity on the Ninevites in chapter 3. No one won't have pity on the Ninevites in chapter 3 but he's going to have pity on Jonah in chapter four. That's what God, God's showing pity to the people. 
We know there are many times that God changed his mind and he relented. We know that Exodus 32, 14 with the golden calf, God wanted to destroy it. Moses pleaded before God and God relented. Amos chapter 7, God bringing judgment on his people. Amos prayed, God relented. We see that God would do that. Even, even the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham's pleading for that city, right? If there was only 50 righteous men, would you do it? If there was 50, I wouldn't do it. We just, he just didn't get down the number low enough yet to find the righteous person. But God was willing to not do it. This is really, his relenting is really his mercy being manifested. I said there's a lot of theological debate about this verse, right? Numbers 23, 19 says, God, Is God not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent? Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, will he not make it good? Guys, I don't know the mind of God. <laughs> I'm the created. He's the creator. I don't question what God does. God sees the whole picture. I don't. But I looked at the character of God and I look at his mission and that he all wants all of us to come to him. That's how I see things. And this, this passage really gives us hope. Because what's the hope you see here? Even the Ninevites were not out of the reach of God's mercy. How about us? How about us? So I leave you with these three things before we partake of communion this morning. God reminds us of our mission and values. Maybe we've forgotten that and we've walked away. God reminds us of our mission and our values. Here's the second thing. God uses imperfect people to reach others. He used Jonah in his mess and his brokenness to reach that city. And lastly, God's mission is to show mercy when we come to him for salvation. We see God's mercy being played out here. Blessed are the merciful. The Bible says, extend mercy, and mercy will be extended to you. Amen? Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we have heard your word, Lord, it's fall on good soil. Lord, as we as a, a church and we as your people are getting ready to, to go out, to go out this season, Prepare us, Lord, for the work. Give us the words. Give us the patience. Give us your spirit. And that, Father, help us to be merciful as you've been merciful to us. Help us to be kind to others as you've been kind to us. Help us to be loving to others as you've loved us. You said to love you and lovers, love others as you have loved us. And so we pray these things believing. Thanks again for joining In Jesus us. Name we pray. Contact us Amen. or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.